power. Everyone say power. Power. This power that works where? In us. Oh, he said, oh, I want some of that power. How do I get it? Well, that's the next verse. To him be glory in the church by who? Christ Jesus. How long? To all generations forever and ever. And let the church say amen. All right, so we see this ending, if you will, this conclusion to Paul's great treatise on the gospel. Um, And this idea of the unlimited concept of God is expressed in these two verses. And here's what I want to see. I want you to see that his power, first of all, is not limited to what we think he can do or even what we ask him to do. How many of you know that we serve a God of unlimited power? This is the same God. Just just hang with me. This is the same God who said, let there be and what? There was. People say, you believe in the Big Bang? Absolutely. I think God said, let there be, and bang, there it was. <laughs> Amen. This is the God who, who really, what is he limited by? Nothing. His power is absolutely unlimited. And listen, it's, he can do more than we even ask. And then the Bible even says, or what? Think. Now, I don't know about you. I can think of some crazy stuff. Can you all think of some crazy stuff? We can think of some crazy things. And you know what the Bible says? Man, your imagination doesn't even come to touch the threshold of God's unlimited power and his ability. Oh, boy, that should be refreshing to us today. How many of you have someone, and I got them in my life too, that you love and they're not a part of the kingdom of light, and you think to yourself, you know, I just don't know if, those, if they can be saved. Has anyone got someone like that in your life? Boy, I don't know how that person's ever going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is the God of unlimited power that we serve. And and the gospel itself is the only thing in the Bible that is called the power of God. The power of God is not described in the whirlwind. The power of God is not described in in the global flood. The power of God is not described in the hurricane or the earthquake. It's described only in the context of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. And we used to have a brother that came here years ago, and then he moved out of the area. His name was Hayward, and I, I would love to pray with him. And he would, he would pray this prayer often about those very kind of people that you're thinking of right now, that they just need Jesus so bad, but they are so blind. Right? And by the way, was that not some of us? Was that, oh, let me rephrase, was that not all of us one day, right? They are so blind, they can't see their need of Christ. Hayward would say this in his prayer. He said, Father, override their will and open their eyes to both their sin and their Savior. And I just totally stole that prayer from him, and I pray that often. So we see that, we see in here that God's power is not limited. He's got unlimited power. Secondly, we see, this is so comforting to me, that his glory is going to be expressed to all generations. Did you see those kids up here a minute ago? Boy, we had a bunch of, I don't know where they came from today. I mean, I literally sat up here and didn't realize there were that many kids in the congregation. Brother Willie had all four of his beautiful granddaughters sitting in that pew. By the way, I commend you for that. Grandchildren need a grandfather that will lead them to the house of God to worship. Amen? I praise God for this man right here. He's been, and by the way, he walks to church. I wish he wouldn't. I said, please let me pick you up. He'd rather walk. 
But he walks to church and he walks home. And, uh, and now he's bringing those four beautiful girls with him. Amen. See that? Why? Because this unlimited uh, power of the gospel is not just for the generation of the first century. It's, it's for our generation. And guess what? When we're dead and gone, those kids up here, it's going to continue. Aren't you glad to know that the unlimited power of the gospel continues to all generations? And then he also says that God's purpose will be exhibited in a limitless way. How long? What's it say? Forever and what? And ever. For all of eternity. God's got this. That's the message for today. God's got this. How many of you watch the news on all that craziness happened last Monday in Las Vegas? And you scratch your head. And I don't know. You're probably, if you're not thinking this, then you're not awake or you're not, you're, you're, just, you're just not connecting down. You sit there and say, God, where are you in all of this? Right? How come there's such crazy people that do such horrible, wicked, evil things? God, where are you in all this? And here's what, here's what I get comforted at when I see this, is that the purpose of God, look, God's going to use everything ultimately for his glory. And God's got this whole thing. He's got, the whole, he's got all of history. Matter of fact, history is his story, isn't it? He's got it all in his hand, and God's going to work this whole thing out. And let me tell you, the day is coming that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's not an if, that's a when. Amen? Throughout all of eternity, God's purpose is going to be manifested and fleshed out. So God's got this thing. So the goal, the, the goal of this teaching in this first uh, message, it's the first of three messages on this theme, Unlimited, is that all of us begin to experience all of the benefits of the gospel that was purchased through Jesus Christ, our Lord on the cross. And that's the question I want you to ask yourself. I want you to take it home with you today. Matter of fact, you got an outline in your bulletin this morning. Uh, if you don't have a bulletin, uh, Nick, if you grab those in the back, if you don't have a bulletin, raise your hand and Brother Nick will get you one. See, the singers never get a bulletin. A worship team. Look at all of them. All the worship team have no bulletins. But if you'll get that bulletin, there's an outline in there for you. And uh, you can fill this out as we move along. I got a question for you. We bought this, we bought this new van because we went on this crazy trip, as you all know, this summer. And uh, we went up to up north. And one of the benefits of going up north is thanking Jesus Christ that we live in the south. <laughs> now, I tell people we were born up north, but we got south as soon as we had a choice. Um, I think God meant God created the north for, the, for people to visit and the south for people to live. But I'm, I'm, I've been told I'm prejudiced a little bit about that. But I bought this van uh, so that we could have a safe trip, and it was time to, to do that. And, and uh, this, thing's, this thing has a lot of benefits to it. And we're still, aren't we still discovering some of the things it does? Um, I was driving along early on in the trip. We were listening to some music. And all of a sudden, I heard the phone ringing. But it wasn't on my phone. It was through the van. I thought, well, that's mighty strange. And Elizabeth said, "There's a see that little green button that looks like a phone? I said, yeah. She goes, press that. And I pressed that green button. And all of a sudden, my son Paul, his voice came over our speaker. And, and I talked back to him through the speaker. Uh, and then when all of the kids realized that he could hear them too, they all had to talk to Paul 
through the, through the car speaker. I mean, that's one of the benefits. It does all kinds of stuff. We're just now beginning to uncover some of the other things that it does. The doors open by themselves. It's like magic. It's an amazing thing. <coughs> but we want to we learn all of it. Uh, matter of fact, we had, to, we had to get the manual out and give it to my daughter, Ellie, who's 18, because there were a few things we didn't know how to do. Uh, um, and we wanted her to help us understand you know, how to do some things that we needed to have done on that trip. Here, I say all that to say this. Do you understand all the benefits of being a child of God? Do you? Are you living in it every single day? Do, do you even get it? Or are you sitting there with your phone to your ear when God's got something much better in, in store for you if you just knew the benefits of the gospel? Oh, do, we, do you have to be discouraged? No, no, you don't. When you understand the benefits of the gospel. So all I want to do today, and, and I, I don't intend to take a lot of time to do it because it's right in the scriptures. We're going to walk from verse 6 through verse 11. And I want to show you how to, how to unpack and embrace and use all of the benefits of the gospel in an unlimited way. God's plan is always unlimited. All right, so here's the first one. He says, so how do we do that? YBH. And in this church, we say YBH means what? Yeah, but how? Yeah, but how? Okay, great, preacher. I, yeah, I want to know all the benefits of the gospel, but how do I do that? Here's the first one. It's in your outline this morning. We must experience power in Jesus Christ. And we see that in verses 6 through 8. In verses 6 through 8. We needed power, experience says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, let's just do a little bit of history here. Who are the, who are the Gentiles? Yeah, basically us, right? But, but what's the definition of a Gentile? That's exactly right, brother. What, what's your name, sir? John, you got it exactly right. Cannot be any easier than that. If you ain't a Jew, guess what you are? You're a Gentile. And, and, and if you're only part Jew, you're still a Gentile, according to the Jews, right? So, so there's Jew and there's Gentile. Now, why is this important? Here's why this is so important, because for thousands of years, thousands of years, God, from, from the time of Abraham, God narrowed down the acceptance or the message of the gospel to one group of people. And they were the Jewish people. And now, yet now, God, through, this, through, through the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is going to open this up to embrace, those, and it was always his plan, to embrace those who were not Jews. And, and to do some things with them as well. And to bring them all together into, I like how Paul says it in Ephesians, one new man, something new. Something different. So here's, here's the thought here. Look at that verse 6. Get your Bible. Look at verse 6. What are the Gentiles now included in? And I will tell you this, that they weren't before, for the most part. What, what do they now have because of the gospel, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that they didn't have uh, before all of this happened? What do you see there? They got salvation. He uses the word there, fellow heirs. What is an heir? That's not A-I-R. It's H-E-I-R. What's an heir? What does an heir get? Ah, who said that? It's an inheritance. Right. 
they now have, the Gentiles now have an inheritance. Don't miss this, that they didn't have before Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. What Jesus did on that cross gives to the Gentile now an inheritance. There's also something else in there. Look, look at the next one in there. He said, we're, we're fellow heirs, but then he says this. Look at verse 6. Of the same what? Body. And now check this out. It's very clear what this is talking about. When it says the body, it's speaking of the body of who? Christ. We are now united together through the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're of the same body. And that is, that, I call that inclusion. God is now including Gentiles in what was only a Jewish endeavor. And now notice the last one. It doesn't even stop there. In verse 6 it says, um, of the same body. Now look at this. And partakers of his what? Promise. Uh, we're partaking in the promise. And what is that promise? Promise is eternal life. The promise is being a part of the kingdom. It went from something national the children of Abraham, to something bigger than that. It was a kingdom. And it wasn't a kingdom that was defined by geological boundaries. Now this kingdom would no longer be defined by DNA, just Jews. Now this kingdom was going to be something different. It was going to be wide open to all who would repent and believe the gospel. And God was doing something new in the world as a result of that. <clears throat> and Paul says here, we need to experience this power. And notice, you say, okay, how do we get all these things? What's the YBH here? Look, look what it says. In Christ through the gospel. See, I'm not making this up. None of this comes to you unless you are positioned in the Messiah. That word Christ literally means Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one, the one that was talked about all the way back in Genesis 3 when he said, that the seed of the woman would have his heel bruised by the serpent, but the serpent would have his head crushed. That special anointed one, that Messiah, finally came through Jesus Christ. All right, so, so we have to experience this power that is available to us. Now let's look at verses 7 through 8. Paul is going to unpack this here about what the Gentiles have to do with this very Jewish uh, messenger named Paul. And I'll explain that here in a second. But look at verse 7. Of which, this, this, this promise of the gospel, of which I, Paul, became a minister according to the gift of, great, of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his, what's that word? Power. And by the way, no, did you notice what qualifies the word power? The effective working of his power. God's power is always effective. Aren't you glad that that's true today? That God's power is always, God's power is always enough. It's always enough. Is your power always enough? No. no. And if it, you know why? Because if it was, you would need his power. You see, because until we come to the end of ourselves, we can't experience this. So here's Paul. He's a very Jewish guy. Matter of fact, he's probably very much in line uh, to become the next high priest. 
He was the guy that held the cloaks, the outer garments of the, of the, the Pharisees who gathered to execute Stephen, the first Christian martyr. You know this guy who was literally arresting followers of the way, Jew and Gentile alike, because it began to be a mixed crowd pretty quickly, mostly Jews at the beginning. He was the one that was arresting them, putting him in prison, even having him executed, and he's on his way to Damascus because he received authority from the church leaders to go ahead and go to Damascus and clean out the followers of the way there. And you know what happened on the road to Damascus, don't you? He came face to face with the risen Messiah, and all of a sudden his life was changed. He was blind, and now he could see, and yet now he was blinded physically, but his eyes were open spiritually. And several days later, the scales would fall off of his physical eyes. So Paul said, in all of that event, here I was, an enemy of the gospel, and now God, in his great mercy, makes me a minister of the gospel. I was fighting to, to take the gospel and all those who believed it and get rid of it, exterminate it. And now God, through his mercy, has called me to, be, to spread the gospel instead of snuff it out. Amen. That's what Paul's saying here. Um, and he says in verse, look at verse 8. In verse 8 he says, to me. Now, now Paul's just amazed by this. Are you kidding me? To me who am less than, than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable, if you've got your own Bible, you should underline that, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul said, I cannot believe that God would put his finger on me of all the people in the world and choose me to go to the Gentiles. Because you've got to understand something, Paul was a a legitimate Jew, and a, and, a, and a good Jew had nothing to do with Gentiles. And yet that's the power of the gospel. God so changed Paul from the inside out, and then he called him. He said, Paul, I got a job for you. I want you to go tell the Gentiles about the risen Messiah. Well, wait a minute. You mean those people I would never eat with? Yeah. Those people that I thought that I was trained in the Jewish catechism coming up, as a boy, that, that you created them as fuel for hell? Yeah, those people. Yeah, I want you to go love them and tell them the truth about Jesus Christ. And Paul was humbled by that. He was humbled by that. Um, and he never got over it. He never got over the power of God through the gospel that God would call him and use him. Here's a quote, and it'll come up on the screen. It's in your fill-in this morning. The gospel is not only the means of our conversion but also the vehicle for our everyday victory. I want you to hear that. The gospel doesn't just save you. It's not just the, it is the means for our conversion, right? When we come and realize we got a sin problem we can't fix, God had a son who could not sin. He sent that sinless son to die in my sinful place. And I turn away from my sin. And by the way, you know what the biggest sin you turn away from when God saves you? Save, trying to save yourself. That's the biggest sin, legalism. And boy, Paul was all up in that. He said, boy, I kept all the Ten Commandments, except for that tenth one. He said, we would say, that tenth one, you should not covet, that came along and it slew me. <laughs> Paul said, all those outward ones, I was spot on. Kept every one of them, except for that last one. That last one got me, and by the way, it gets every Pharisee that ever lived. Because we want something that we cannot have, that does not belong to us, and that's a perfect righteousness that can only be given through Jesus Christ. 
Paul said, man, I, I went after it with everything I could. And it, it is the means. It's what saves us. But here's the problem. One brother said this, and I just thought it was so spot on. He said, if you believe that the gospel is one-time use only just for your salvation, he said, you, you haven't yet heard it. Oh, isn't that true? Because the gospel is not only the means of your salvation, it's the vehicle for our everyday victory. That's why I say to you, you've got to preach the gospel to yourself. How often, church? Every day. The grace of God through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is everything that you need to be everything that God intends you to be. And we've got to experience the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, the, well, you know what the most natural fruit of a true conversion to a follower of Jesus Christ is? is what you see with Paul in verse 8. It's humility. Who am I? And by the way, if you haven't gotten to the point where you said, who am I? That God would love me through his son. You probably haven't heard the gospel yet either. I love the ending of, of C.S. Lewis's um, book, Prince Caspian and the Chronicles of Narnia series. Aslan is the giant lion that is representative of, of Christ. He's the Messiah, the Son of God in this figure, in this story. And in the, and in the book, Prince Caspian, um, after the war is won, uh, the lion Aslan pronounces... Prince Caspian, the king of Narnia. And Caspian's response is, is what Paul's response is to the gospel and what ours ought to be. Here's what Caspian says. He says, I don't think I'm ready. To which Aslan replies, it is for that very reason I know you are. It is for that very reason I know you are. Oh, those who have been touched by the power of the gospel are humble people who know that the power is not in themselves. If you think you can get up and you can do what you have to do without the help of Jesus Christ, you're not understanding the gospel. I love that song, Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Who's the brother, the African-American brother from Chicago that sings it? Clemens Chappelle. Brother Clemens sings that like nobody else. Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. This is how we unpack the benefits of the gospel. Here's the next thing, is we are to enjoy, not only experience the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ, but we're to enjoy the fellowship in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 9 of our text today, as Paul writes. He says, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of all ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? By the way, a mystery is something that is hidden um, to the world. And Paul says, we're a part of this fellowship of this mystery. And, and I like how he says it's been hidden in God. God had this idea hidden in him from the very beginning of time. And it was this idea of this fellowship in the gospel that we would have generated by the Holy Spirit with one another. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul calls this, quote, the fellowship of the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. Now, now I want to ask you something. Have you, ever, have you ever met someone, brand new person, don't know them from Adam, you meet them and you, it just feels like you've known them your entire life. That ever happened to you? 
Uh, we had that hur hurricane recently, had some family come up. We never met them before, <coughs> but they were part of our family, and they had a bunch of kids. Um, I think, how many kids they have? Eight? Eight or nine kids? Eight kids. And one of the girls, I think the oldest daughter, said to her mom, she goes, you know, we just met these people, but it feels like we've always known them. And her mother said to her, honey, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the fellowship of the Spirit. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. And listen, it's that very fellowship in the Holy Spirit that God intended from way at the beginning and was patient to wait for until the gospel was fully formed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost 50 days later. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? And here's my question to you. Are you experiencing the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? The unlimited fellowship of the gospel? That immediate kinship? I like this thought. Listen to this. We are external citizens of an eternal kingdom. Think about that for a minute. We are external citizens of an eternal kingdom. We went through the whole summer with a series on the kingdom of God. We're the external citizens of that kingdom that happens to be an eternal kingdom. That's why it's so, and this fellowship of the Holy Spirit is so key to that. And that's what Paul says here. God hid it in himself from before the foundation of time. Listen, so that you and I might enjoy it. And here's my question to you. Are you enjoying the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with other believers? This, this beautiful, mysterious thing. Are you enjoying that? Are you experiencing that? Where does that happen? When does that happen? Well, I can tell you where it always happens, and it's whenever the church herself gathers together for, for, for worship or for prayer. So if you want to experience it, where should you go first? To church. Just be here. Just come to church. I, I always tell people, you never know what's going to happen when you just show up, Right? You never know what's going what to break out if you would just show up in the house of God. And I don't understand why, why, why it's so hard for some people to, to get to the house of God when the doors are open. I tell you, well, when those doors are by the way, we don't just meet on Sunday. We meet on Wednesdays. We have a wonderful time of prayer, of, of breaking open God's word. I said to Nick the other day, we were discussing this whole Wednesday night series, which is very rich. So vitally important for the heartbeat life of this fellowship. And I used, I used to say to Nick, I said, you know, I don't know why people don't come. I don't know why they're not here. And I said, and Nick, I used to, I used to think it was me. And that I needed to, they didn't have a, they didn't value that midweek service. And so I needed to do something in order to help them have value so that they would make the effort to be here. Can you understand where I, why I would think that? And the Lord confronted me and convicted me that uh, very clearly that I was wrong about that. By the way, can I just put a pause in here and say, God is so good. We are forever putting burdens on our back, and God is forever taking them off. Amen. Some of you didn't hear that yet, but aren't you glad we serve that kind of God? He's a burden-bearing God. That's why Jesus' biggest finger pointing angry moment with the Pharisees was you put so much on these people so many rules so much legalism, legalism and you don't lift a finger to help them he said you're missing the whole purpose of the law the law is to drive them to God so that God bears those burdens in their place
So God just took that burden off my back, and, I, and, and he taught me something so beautiful. And it's simply this. It's not my job to add value to the gathering of the saints. Listen to me. It's his job. It's his job. Because when the Holy Spirit in me meets up with the Holy Spirit in you, listen, that's the value. The value is just when the church gathers together. That's the value. It's not what the preacher says. It's not what the teacher teaches. It's not what songs we sing. It's the fact that we are together and the Holy Spirit in me and the Holy Spirit in you are enjoying a Holy Spirit generated fellowship. And if you're missing that, you're missing out. Right? All right, here's the last one that I see is not only to experience the power of Jesus Christ through the gospel and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, but third and last is to explore the purpose of the Father. And it's all over these last two verses. Look at verse 10. <clears throat> Look at verse 10 in our text. Here's what the scripture says. He says, to the intent. Now remember, he's talking about all these things, but this fellowship has been hidden, God's plan um, it's been hidden in God who created all things. By the way, he created all things through who? Did you notice that? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not just a man. He was there. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word, here it is, was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now check it out. All things were made by him. Who? The word. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus Christ is the word, the logos of God. He's been around from eternity past, and he's going to be here throughout eternity future. Amen? And he says, so, so he did, God did all this creating through Jesus Christ. And why did he do it? Verse 10, to the intent, here's his purpose, that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to, by the, what's this saying there, folks? The church. What is our job? We are the vehicle through which the multifaceted wisdom of God is going to be manifested. To who? Check it out. Look what it says. Follow it up. By the church, we're the ones that are going to manifest this. To who? To the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. What is that? You can just write in there. Angels. Demons. The spirit world. This is, this is amazing to me. It was the purpose of the Father that the angelic, the spirit beings that he created, that are created higher than man, would, would learn the gospel from the expression of the church together, understanding and seeing with their own eyes the purpose, the eternal purpose of the Father, which is to manifest his own glory through human beings gathered together in a thing called the church. This was God's plan all along. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 12, it tells us that the angels desire to look into the things of the gospel. The angels are still blown away by the gospel. They still watch this, us playing out this eternal drama with human beings expressed as the local body of Jesus Christ. And they sit on the portals of heaven and they scratch their head. And they think, this is amazing. They're learning the glory of God through you and I, who are created lower than they are. It's the eternal purpose of God. And then look at verse 12. In whom, this is in Christ, we have boldness 
and access with confidence through faith in him. Listen, we have boldness and we have access to the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to ask you, are you unpacking that in your daily life? What problem this week came into your life and you with boldness and access immediately went to the Father through Jesus Christ? Or did you try to figure it out on your own? Oh, I want to tell you what, the biggest thing that's keeping you and I from unpacking and experiencing the benefits of the unlimited gospel is thinking that we can do it on our own. That we only need God for the big things. Right? We only need God for the hard things that we can't handle. Oh, I want to tell you, listen to me carefully. Until you understand that you can't even walk without Him holding your hand. Until you realize that God is in the, in the details that he is the ultimate micromanager of the universe, that you need God for everything. Until you realize that, you're never going to go to him with the big things. Because Satan will continue to deceive you, to make you think that you can handle it on your own. He's always been a divider of God's people and God. And God's eternal, unlimited purpose is borne out when we realize our desperate need of him. The glorious grace of of the gospel through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So what are the takeaways? What do I want you to do? You say, preacher, what do I, what do, I do with all I want to have the, I want to experience these benefits on a daily basis. I want to unpack them all. I want to have the power of God through, the, through Jesus Christ. There's a lot of power we're leaving. We're leaving on the table every single day. How many of you got a decision you're going to have to make this week? And it's an important one. We got a lot. Our house just burned down. I met with a contractor yesterday. Apparently, there are a lot of decisions I hadn't even thought about that we have to make. I'm not making one of those decisions without the power of God. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough experience. So what are the takeaways? What do I do? Here's some, here's some practical takeaways. Number one, preach the gospel to yourself every day. You say, Pastor, what's that look like? What's that look like to preach the gospel to myself every day? I think this will be on the screen. Here's what it looks like. You wake up every morning and you remind yourself that you are a child of God and has nothing to do with you. And everything to do with how good God is. But because you're a child of God, you have access and boldness to your Father through Jesus Christ the Lord. And you're going to run into people who are saints and you're going to have fellowship with the whole, from the Holy Spirit. And you count on that. And today, no matter what I encounter, Mike Glaze had this saying, it's always Father filtered. How many of you know that every aspect and event in your life is filtered through the Father? And most of them are designed to drive us back to the Father. Amen? So preach that gospel to yourself every single day. Saturate yourself with, with the truth that it's not about me. And God is so good. And God has got an eternal purpose that's unlimited. And I get to be a part of that. Here's another thing you can do. Pray daily for friends and family who are outside the kingdom. I ask you that. How many of you had friends and family who are outside the kingdom? And you think, boy, 
If they get saved, it's going to be a miracle. Well, let me just tell you something. If anybody gets saved, it's a miracle. Right? Isn't that right? The fact that you're saved is a miracle. But boy, I tell you what, if they're outside the kingdom, pray for them. Pray for them every day by name. Here's another thing you can do. Practice daily fellowship with believers and make it a priority. You notice I said daily? Not just on Sunday mornings, not just on Wednesdays, not just in the fellowship of this church. Search out people that you know are believers, and the Holy Spirit will let you know who that is. And make sure that you're in contact and in fellowship with them every single day. Search out other believers where you work, and if there aren't any, win some. You're supposed to be making disciples anyway, amen? And, 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 and be salt and light. And search out those believers and have daily fellowship with other believers. It's vital, and God intended us to have it and to enjoy it. Here's another one. Be in church every time the doors are open. Every single time the doors are open, be in church. Because the value is not what the preacher or teacher has to say. The value is that when you come, the Holy Spirit comes with you. And when I come, the Holy Spirit comes with me. And when the church gathers together, that's the value. Be here. You never know what's going to happen if you just show up. And, and, and I don't. That is one of the things I don't understand. I've gotten myself in trouble in the past. Got people mad and they've left the church because I point out the fact that we're here and you're not. Explain that to me. Because everything I see in this book tells me that if you love Jesus, you love his people. And you love being with his people. And that no matter what, when there's a chance to be with his people, you're going to be there. I don't see anything else in there. Except one admonition for those who might think otherwise. And it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. As the manner of some is. So apparently this is not a 2017 problem. It was a problem in the first century church as well. He says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day of Jesus Christ. Because one day God's going to blow the whistle. Everybody's out of the pool. And this whole human experience is over. And by the way, if they thought it was going to be happening soon back then, how much sooner is it? How much, how much closer are we today? You see that day approaching. Get yourself in God's house when they assemble. Be there. Make it a priority. Because at the end of the day, we, need to, we experience the power of Jesus Christ through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit as we embrace the eternal plan of the Father. And it's all unlimited, but when you're not there, you miss out. You've got to start readjusting your priorities, folks. Here's a good test. I'm going to throw this out there for some of you. He said, okay, if you got a text from God, now this can't happen because the scriptures say it can't, because the Bible says no man knoweth the day or the hour of the return of the Son except the Father. Even the Son doesn't. Even Jesus says, that's none of my business. I'm leaving that with Dad. But, but the Father knows when he's pulling a plug on his If God sent you a text and said, just FYI, Two weeks from today, I'm coming back. Just letting you know. I just got a question for you. Would you be in church every time the doors were open? Just asking. I got a question for you. Those people who are driving you nuts in your life who need Jesus, but, you, but they're making you crazy, would you make an appointment to go have coffee with them and say, I'm begging you. I am begging you. You need to see your sin and your Savior because you don't know how much time you got left. I guarantee you, you'd be rearranging your schedule. You'd be having coffee with people all over the place. 
Why? Because he's coming back. I got a newsflash for you. He's coming back. He's coming back. We don't know. We don't know when. And that's why he says, and the writer Hebrews says, stop missing church. Be here when the doors are open because we don't know how long we got. And we need to have this fellowship. Here's the last one. This is beautiful. Ponder the eternal unlimited plan of God. Meditate on it. There's a guy who's one of my pastoral heroes. He's called, they call him the last Puritan. His name was Pastor Richard Baxter. Richard Baxter was an amazing pastor in a little hamlet outside of London, England. When he moved to this little town, it was known as a pretty rough place. Matter of fact, it was so rough they couldn't get a preacher. But God called Baxter to go and pastor that handful of people who were trying to be lights in an extremely dark little town. Alcoholism ran wild. Domestic abuse, murder. It's just, it, was, it was a rough little town. And Baxter went. And in 25 years, they said you couldn't find an unsaved person in that town. It became the model on which other towns tried to build their town. And someone came in to study that because they wanted the same thing for their town. And a young man, and he interviewed Richard Baxter, and he said, what's your secret? And Baxter, being a very humble man, said, I don't, I don't, I don't have a secret. I, I love Jesus. I preach the kingdom. He said, no, what, tell me about your habits. What do you do? And finally, he pressed and pressed and pressed. And an old, old pastor told him, he said, well, there's one thing I do every day. He said, what is it? He said, for 30 minutes before dinner every day, I go for a walk. And I have trained my mind over the years to think of nothing but heaven. The eternal purpose of God. I ponder eternity. I've trained myself like a laser to just focus on eternity for 30 minutes before dinner every single night. And that young pastor who was interviewing him closed his notebook. He said, that's it. Because Baxter was so in love with the eternal purpose of God that it made a temporal difference in a place in which he lived. That's why you and I need to ponder the eternal, unlimited plan of God. And we need to become infatuated with God's glory and know that God has got this. And when crazy things happen, like what happened in Las Vegas, we must come and back to our bedrock of our faith and say, God's got this. We must find our voice and experience the power of God in the gospel. Every head bowed and every eye closed, I just got a couple questions for you, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to stand and sing the doxology. We do this different just about every week. But I feel the need to ask you a question this morning. How many of you here today, every head, nobody looking around, how many of you here this morning say, Preacher, I know that there was a time in my life where God showed me my sin. I realize not only was I a sinner, I was in big trouble. 
that I, I sinned against God himself and that I was on my way to an eternal judgment. And in that same time, God showed me Jesus. He showed me my Savior. And what Jesus did on the cross made all kinds of sense to me. And I, I asked God for the forgiveness of my sins, and I embraced Jesus Christ as my King, as my Savior, as the Messiah. I, 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 can, I can take you back to a time when that's happened in my life, and my life was changed. If, if that's you, if you know that there was a time in your life when God showed you your sin, showed you the Savior, you repented, turned away from your sin, and you believed that Jesus died in your place and rose again on the third day. I just want you to raise your hand as a testimony this morning. Just raise your hand if you're sure of that. All right, put those hands down. Not everybody could raise their hand this morning. And that tells me that possibly, possibly there are some here today who say, Paul, I, 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 I get what you're saying, but I can't honestly raise my hand and say that's happened to me. I, I can't say that there's ever really been a time that I felt the weight of my sin and that what Jesus did on the cross made sense to me. And, and I, I, I turned away from my sin, and I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again in my place. know I, 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 I could not say that. If that's you this morning, you say, no, I could not say with confidence that Jesus is my king, is he's my Messiah, and I have a relationship with him on a daily basis. I couldn't say that. If that's you, just raise your hand. Nobody's looking. Just raise your hand if that's you. All I want to do is pray with you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to hunt you down. That's God's job. I want to pray for you, okay? I see that hand. Let me pray this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you and I, I thank you that you have an unlimited gospel. And if we will repent and believe, you will do your part. I thank you for a room full of people who profess to know you to be walking in that truth. I pray for the ones that raised their hands and said they don't. And I pray that you would speak directly into that person's heart today. That they would know the truth of the gospel and walk in it. They would see this, their sin for all of its evil and know that they're not any different than that guy that pulled that trigger last Monday. That that evil's inside of them just like it was inside of him. But that Jesus paid for it all. God, I pray that you would call anyone here who does not know you personally through repentance and faith to come to Jesus this morning. To, to turn away from their sin, to admit and own their sin, and then turn around and hand that to Jesus. So they may see their sin in Christ himself on the cross and that we might enjoy the eternal benefits of the gospel today. May you do this for your glory. You call us to enjoy all of the benefits of the good news that the Messiah has come, that the chosen one, the Christ, has died in our place, and you accepted the sacrifice as he rose again on that first day of the week, the feast of first fruits. He was the first fruit of those who would believe. May you call us to be in that family and to enjoy the benefits in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? And we're going to sing the doxology as we go out this morning. I don't know about you. Can, my hearing's not great, but you, can you hear the rain?